Hello, and welcome to the Communication Solution Podcast with Casey Jackson and John Gilbert. I'm your host, Danielle Canton. We love to talk about communication, we love to talk about solutions, and we love to talk about providing measurable results for individuals, organizations, and the communities they serve. Welcome to the communication solution that will change your world. Welcome back, everyone, and do we have a podcast for you today? It is going to be an interesting, provocative one, especially for those of you um, that are interested in EMI in this world of potentially business. I know I said it. So I'm not the one to introduce this, though. Casey, uh, you are our lovely director, and you will have a lot of perspectives on this. Um, and Danielle, you come from a background with perspectives on this. So if you wouldn't mind giving us, Danielle, a sense of where you're coming from with your curiosity around this. Mm, thanks, John. I'm excited. I was re-listening to the podcast that we did about quiet quitting and the insights that you and Casey shared, and that really spurred another conversation I thought we could touch on here. Um, I come from the corporate world, the business world, and from a branding and marketing perspective. And so what I do is I help organizations dig in to who they really are and bring it to life in a brand campaign, in, in their brand. And the biggest struggle I've had in my life is getting that alignment with, we can say who you are all day long, but wow. are you really walking the talk? So as I was listening to that, that awesome podcast about quiet quitting, it made me think about what you're doing with your training, with the communication solution, yes. um, how you are out there working with for-profit companies um, and businesses who typically have a financial perspective. They're like, they want to grow, they want to produce. And it's like, you're bringing this training, you're bringing motivational interviewing and your expertise with this communication solution to organizations, to leadership teams, to founders. These innovative companies are saying, we need this. And they're kind of stepping in. And I'd love to have a conversation around what you're seeing, how that's contributing to quiet quitting or or just the growth of a business and that role. Because I like, John, your reaction was like motivational interviewing in business. You know, yeah. so there's, there's a lot of thoughts there. So I don't know if that's a good kickoff, but that's what I would love to discuss Great today. Kickoff. It, well, it, <laughs> when John said that, it's so funny because when you say that, Danielle, I can feel my own writing reflex to it. And I think, well, I know being raised in the MI world, there has been um, less than positive feedback about that I had done some work for corporations or for businesses. And it, it's something that I, John and I talked about so much about the ethics behind it of motivation in the business world and how does that work? And um, this mutual accountability, uh, always running the lens through, is our behavior aligned with our values? Is our behavior aligned with our values of IFIOC? Like we talked about in the Quiet Quitting podcast, this was never, starting this company was never about income for me. It was about how do you share a message or how do you share a, a, a technology or a skill set that will improve outcomes through this communication solution, through motivational interviewing. The reaction tends to be, no, this is for healthcare, this is for behavioral health. Don't give this magic potion to businesses who are going to exploit it and not make it MI anymore. And so that was just something we were so hyper-conscious of and was so fascinating in this, because this just happened for you and I, Danielle. We were um, 
John, you don't know about this, but Danielle was on a, kind of a fly on the wall on a conference. I mean, the empath conference, I'm going to be a, a keynote at, and, um, and I'm going to be co-presenting with Dr. William Miller. Um, and <laughs> Danielle actually talked to me after this zoom call with, with Bill and, um, and she's like, okay, I just have to ask, what's the deal? Because Dr. Miller had seemed to have no issue with motivation being in the business world. And you've always been so skittish around that and have such a reaction to it. And she goes, so I just like was, huh, wait a second. Bill Miller, who's the creator of MI, he didn't seem to have a big beef with this whole thing that you seem to be anxious about. I, I think what strikes me about that, Danielle, even more since I've thought about that is partially the evolution of motivational learning. When I first started, you know, I always would only work with you know, non nonprofits, government agencies, you know, all those, those, that zone, and then got bumped up over and over against, against the corporate world and about, okay, can I do this with integrity? Can I keep motivational fidelity based and not get sucked into how do they bastardize this for profit um, and, and not make it MI, but call it MI. Like I was so hypervigilant. So I think partly that, um, so much of the pressure and the heat I could feel from people within the MI world that heard about what I was doing. Um, I think it was a good thing to keep me on track with how do you keep behavior in line with values for myself and then with organizations I work with. What I could not escape is if people are genuinely going to follow their vision, their mission, their values, I can train any organization or corporation if the executive leadership wants their behavior to be in line with their vision, mission, values, how you embody that, how you actualize that, how you bring that to fruition for me, partially, fundamentally, and partially is through how you communicate, which is the whole function of motivation. It's the communication solution that will change your world. Um, so for me, what I look at then is when I talk to executive leadership about how does this help us, my very pointed, not only question, but put the onus on them is, do you genuinely want your organization to be in alignment with your vision, mission, and value statement? So re reassess it and make sure that's what you want, because I can help your workforce get in alignment with that if that's what you really want. If it's about bottom line, this is Danielle, when you sat in with uh, Sunshine Health, it's like, if it's about bottom line, then you need to put that in your mission statement. And this goes back to what we talked about in the quiet quitting podcast, what John had brought up <clears throat> about the workforce now starting to interview their employer before they take a job. So they want to know, is this really the way my job's going to be? Is this really the kind of company? Or I know that it's very much a, a millennial Gen Z perspective in terms of what do you do and why are you doing it? And do I want to be part of that? Um, and what we can do on the communication side of it with what we teach and 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 provide structure and, and assistance around is how do you develop a leadership structure and a management structure and a workforce structure that is, is driven by vision, mission, and values. What I've seen, and I think this is what piqued your curiosity in the beginning when you and I first met, Danielle, is when I'd shared that there were companies I'd worked with, like in senior living, who's... Um, that they had attributed the work with motivational interviewing, the work with me, as what took them from that kind of 85% occupancy rate to 100% occupancy rate or 90, you know, 8% occupancy rate in a paid waiting list. 
that was, I knew that that piqued your interest. Like that was kind of a fascinating construct. So, um, so, you know, I want to toss it a little bit back to you in terms of, as I blurred all this stuff out, what's, what's percolating through your brain as you look through that kind of side. Yeah. The metrics are what blows, blow me away because every business I've worked with, every CEO, every great leader is looking for measurable results. Yes. And until I met you, I was like, this is actually documented. It's evidence-based. It's it's an incredible um, path to help these leaders get to where they want to go uh, with integrity. And that's why I like what you just said is the first thing I ask is, is this really what you want? I can help yes. you do this, but don't fool yourself. Is it really what yes. you want? If you're going to yeah. change the game and say, no, it's about I'm going to hire you and we need to see X, Y, or Z happen you know, financially, that's a different conversation. Um, what we've seen in, in the case studies is that financial piece comes, yes. but it, it can never be the motivating factor. Exactly, um, oh, Danielle, that is that is so critical, and I don't think people understand that. It's what you just said is that can't be the motiv- motivating factor. The only way this works, I mean, this is to me where the where it's so fascinating is the only way it works is if the behavior is to be focused on the vision, mission, and values. You can't say, oh, we're going to get to our bottom line by implementing this. If it's about the bottom line, using that vision, mission, values to get to the bottom line, it's like, oof, this, it just, it will not work. I've, I've, I always, it. I've, I've heard you say that where you're like, if that's the case, put that in your vision, your mission, that's, and that's make exactly that it. your values. Yeah. And then at and, least and, you're in alignment. That's exactly it. And and for me, why this is so real and potent it's it honestly is not a it's not that far of a of a uh step off of in the when i was as a therapist what i used to tell parents and relationships like people in relationship or marriages when they'd work with me if you're doing this for your partner this is not going to work it cannot be for your partner it has to be for you and if you think okay i'll do it for me if it helps my relationship that's not going to work it has to be, you have to do it for you. And if you do it hundred percent for you, it is going to help the health of the relationship. But if you're, if there's any part of your brain that's like, okay, I'll do it for the relationship. It, it will not sustain itself in the long run. It's the same thing in the parenting. If it's like, okay, I'm going to do this so I can be a better parent or so I can get my way or I can do it this way. It will not work in the long run. So it's the same thing in the in the in a business world is if you're doing it for a different reason, but you're going to be this is going to be our facade that we're going to operate from. It will not work in the long run. Then when we circle back around it, like you have been so fascinated with data points. For me, why this is so potent, I mean, the reason why MI is an evidence based practice is because there is so much data around it. There is if you follow the technology, if you follow grandma's recipe, if you stick to fidelity outcomes improve. I think of, you know, I've shared before, like the data around when John and I worked on a huge project uh, with employment services, people that became skilled at this technique, their productivity, and this is where you can take any productivity number, but their rehabilitation rates, people going back into the workforce. Nationally, the average was around kind of 42-ish to 52-ish percent nationally of for for productivity of people going back. So about 50% of your caseload, approximately people that were measurably skilled, measurably, 
which meant that they not only went through the training, but we could actually measure to see if they had the skill set. People that were measurably, measurably skilled at motivational interviewing, they had a productivity rate at around 78 to 82%. Like that is right. That This is what I know blows your mind. <laughs> I, okay. That's a data point I hadn't heard. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. It, it's just, so that's just, and that's a, that's a practitioner who is their productivity goes from around a 50% ish to about an 80% ish productivity. And this is helping human beings with disabilities get back into the workforce. Like that, that is a monumental difference on that. 80% of your people are getting employed versus 50%. Yeah. Just based yeah. on a, a skill set, And, you know, then we jump over to law enforcement and to have a profound, again, measurably skilled at it, not that they went through training, but training and measurably skilled at it. People that are law enforcement trained and measurably skilled at it, they have a profound reduction in use of force, like over a 40% reduction in use of force. Like that is profound difference in human life. Profound. So I think this is why it, for me, it is about the communication solution side of it. It is about the fidelity to the model of it. And if you look from that perspective, this is where I think I came to the resolution of just being startled that Bill Miller was like, yeah, if it's effective, mm -hmm. it's effective. We're just trying to affect outcomes and this technology can affect outcomes. It, it, it strikes me that what I had back in the day, what I had felt, which was why is there bias against the corporate world if it's not about selling a product, if it's about helping people get to what they need to find is no different than me trying to see if somebody needs substance use treatment or to manage their diabetes differently. There's, mm. there's, we don't have the market on humanity in behavioral health and healthcare, that in the corporate world, there are products out there that really are meant to improve the quality of life. And senior living was a low hanging fruit that was like, well, of course, the ultimate intention is to improve the quality of life for older adults. Mm. Not just, a, you know, sell them a condo, you know, and that's two different perspectives. <laughs> sell them a condo is a different vision, mission and values than we just want to improve the quality of life and enrich, provide life enrichment for older adults. Yeah, I'm going to jump in here. Oh, go ahead, Daniel. Okay, I was just going to jump in here because this is something that's been uh, kicking around my mind in this discussion is from the upfront thing of talking with uh, Dr. Miller to now what you're talking about, Casey, it's what it's seemingly also, what's the impact of this organization? So you had particular conversations with one of those organizations you were just talking about, about would they even use it? And we've talked about this in other podcasts, if you use this way of treating people, if their outcomes didn't improve or things went down. And so long as they agreed to that being true for the very sake of how they're treating people, then you agreed to that ethic of treating people that way. There's also something to be said of Bill Miller on record going to say something to the degree of not wanting to work with diamond selling companies that called him up to work in that particular area. So I would imagine there's more nuance in, in that of what are we talking about when we're talking about business or for-profit. There's also the podcast we got into of like, can you ever be completely neutral in equipoise? And we can, uh, we don't need to open that can, but the whole reason I mention it is that what you're alluding to there is uh, that there's always going to be some outcome involved. The helping profession tends to be cleaner and tends to have a little more altruism and some of those things, but there's also a certain level of 
still being possibly biased to getting certain kinds of outcomes. So what are those outcomes? What is the impact of more occupancy? What is the impact of people with disabilities getting more jobs? What are you contributing to with training MI in this particular industry? That seems to really matter for some reason to, for, for being clear if you are going to bring it in to a particular industry. You know, John, and I, what struck me when you said that is, again, I keep thinking my brain loves looking historically and at trend. And what I think of is, again, when I first learned motivational thing in the you know late 80s as an addiction counselor, it was very specific to that population and the funding streams were different now. So I think I think you're going to be more hard pressed in behavioral health and healthcare that you know we can say was more altruistic and i think that's why a social worker goes into that field but i can tell you now it is based on profit and risk because it is driven by insurance and funders so behavioral and health healthcare is no different than the corporate world at this point in time in our culture it is about the bottom line literally i can call up any behavioral health agency right now and they are all going to be having a meltdown right now. I can call anyone anywhere in the country and they're going to have a, be having a meltdown over their productivity and their loss because they can't get their numbers up. And we have to hire people that can see more people on more of a regular basis if we're going to be able to hit our bottom line. That is no different than any other industry that has a sales component to it because it's driven by finance. And before, when things were funded differently, it wasn't driven by finance. It was it was driven by altruistic reasons. But that was also forty years ago. Things have changed, and so that you cannot get a credit card or a piece of paper to slide the difference between healthcare, behavioral health, and the corporate world right now. You can't get a, a piece of paper to slide between the two of them. They are so enmeshed. Yeah, I just listening to you guys. I I really agree, Casey. That. You know, to your point, John, it's look at the leader, look at the leader of the organization and what they genuinely want, whether it's, you know, for profit or nonprofit. It's like, what are you really trying to achieve and what are you trying to create? And if you really do want to get in line with your vision, mission and values, the communication solution can help. Motivational interviewing can help. Um, I'm, I'm personally very grateful uh, to have sat in on that call with you and Dr. Miller Um and to see that shift and have that conversation around motivational interviewing and its role in for-profit business. Um, something that strikes me as I listen to how you started is your commitment to fidelity. Um, yeah. And John, I get that sense from you as well. You guys are experts. The years that you have under your belt, um, the expertise that you bring to the table, I think can only come from that level of commitment to fidelity. Yes. Um, and what is now opening up, which I also appreciate, is you have all of these years of fidelity of this expertise, and now you're bringing it to an organization who may not ever take it to fidelity. Yes. But oh my God, will these tools, will these trainings not help improve somebody's li life, lives, help improve lives? Yes. That's what well, gets me. I think you guys did a podcast about that where it was like, what if you only, or maybe it was your monthly membership call. What if yeah. you only have five minutes, even mental health workers, they only get five minutes with a, a client. It's like, what if you can actually change a life in just one, by using one tool in one minute? 
and and to me what i think of danielle when you say that when i distill it down even further when you take that five minutes is where is there a point in your life that being more mindful and aware of your communication how it impacts the people around you is not value added for any of us to be more mindful about how are my words affecting this brain and is it leading to a positive outcome or a negative outcome how how is that not why wouldn't i want to learn that why wouldn't i want to master that i think this is the thing for me in my relationship with you you know coming to ifioc is i just want people to have access to that because it is profound it has a profound impact on personal life it has a profound impact on cultural life it has a profound impact on you know family it just it just has so much profound impact if we have an awareness and i Oh my gosh, here's another podcast coming out of my brain already <laughs> is I just think what with where the world is at right now and all the, the such a strong sense of disempowerment of just people feel so disempowered and so disenfranchised right now that the I've always said this in training, the one thing you have control over is what comes out of your mouth. That is one that is one thing in your life you have control over. So do you have any cognition around what is happening when it comes out of your mouth, why it's coming out of your mouth and what impact it's happening, having. And if you adjust that, you can have, get to a better outcome in your own life. And this again is why it's so translation for me from individual and organizational change. It's from a, that micro level of an N of one to a macro level, to a meso level in terms of, you know, the change can be so profound based on what comes out of my mouth. That is fascinating to me. Like, I'll never get bored with that. I will study this the rest of my entire life. I mean, it's just profoundly fascinating to me that I have the control to be able to be that aware, that mindful of how I communicate, that I can change outcomes within an organization that I work within. I can change whether or not I can retain people in my workforce by how I communicate. Um, like, that's one thing I have control over in this crazy world that feels like we don't have control over much. It's really interesting for me as you're talking through that, Casey, because I think of, you know, Danielle, your background in, um, and I don't know it to the degree you could, you could voice anything and correct me where I'm wrong, but just ads and marketing and, and brand imaging that at a certain point, psychology has been used to influence people, which is a very, you know, dirty word and, and what have you, it's been used in that world to influence people for certain outcomes. So Casey, to your point, there's been a lot invested in closing sales or different things that I think there's a natural aversion, especially in the MI world, to the very inherent conflict of interest but that you were getting at earlier. Maybe there is more conflict of interest in helping professions than we think. But also, so, John, before you finish that yeah, thought, because what yeah, I want to yeah. connect for people is this is where I'm starting to bridge those gaps is what's the difference between closing the sale and getting them into treatment or getting them to take their medication or getting them to do mm -hmm. X or Y or Z because mm -hmm. we think it's in their best interest. So mm -hmm. that, that's where it becomes conflated is because mm -hmm. then it's a matter of this is not what the vision is, is not how do we make people or get the sale. It could be mm -hmm. for some organizations or corporations, but it, I, there's no mm -hmm. variation for me between how do we get them to buy this versus how do we get them to take their medication or how do we get them to sign up mm -hmm. for inpatient treatment mm -hmm. or how do we get them to, it's that 
I think that's a mentality, but I just wanted to throw that yeah. in there as you were saying it, because I, I want people to understand that difference. Yeah. Well, to that point, it's what's the potential impact and you're, you're getting at, even if it's a healthy or positive, depending on how you're defining that impact, is it coming from a hierarchical, um, this is good for you, so therefore I can use a, a method of communicating that will get you to buy in or influence you into this thing that uh, I or the research would show is best for you. And so there is this interesting context of like, say with the occupancy in that whole world, um, we didn't speak specifically to some of the, the specifics there, but it deals with um, healthy outcomes and that the research would support healthy outcomes with more occupancy. And I, I just want to give voice to that because just because that's true, you could then try to sell people on doing this thing that you think is best for them is kind of a, a, a way, or you could try to altruistically influence them to do what's best for them. But either way, what you're getting at is how do you have the conversation, you know, as we've talked about before, as much from equipoise that helps them make an informed choice, getting their behaviors aligned with their values that could be a healthy option would be this occupancy or be this sort of a thing. And so I think it's the very intention of walking into the conversation that you're talking about and how much there's this hierarchy and how much there's this pejorative nature to it, even if it is this thing that research or otherwise would show is healthy for the person, that doesn't mean you need to get them to do it. It means you might explore it with that on the table with this way of treating them. Seems like the kind of 10,000 foot view way to talk about it that I've interpreted. John, for me, this is why motivational interviewing is the golden thread through any one of those industries, private, for-profit, non-profit, doesn't matter. The golden thread is not only the communication method, it's the fidelity of motivational learning because it gets down to the core, the crux of it for me is that you're helping people resolve their ambivalence and at that point, everyone, you're empowering them to have informed choice. It's what, that is the gold standard in healthcare is informed choice. It's not making them do it. It's that their brain can see viable options and then you support their autonomy that they get to choose what's best for them. That's the golden thread for me in the corporate world is just give them informed choice and if that product and help them resolve their ambivalence. And if that product improves the quality of their life and they want that, that is value added, but it's not that we're making them or selling them or pushing them or whatever it is. What I've always said, if you're using MI, you shouldn't have to sell anything. You just need expert marketing. People just need to be aware and work through their ambivalence. And if you have an exceptional product or a product that's value added, then people will opt for a, a valuable product, whether it's treatment, <laughs> whether it's medication or whether it's a, a place to live. I mean, it just, it's that to me is the the golden thread of how do you help people resolve ambivalence in an empowering way and how much value added that is to a community or to a treatment center or to a corporation. I mean, that, that to me, that's how you weave it together. And, and as we're, we're bringing it to a close today, what came, came to mind that, cause there's just so much more to potentially get into here is motivation evoked informed choice. <laughs> it seems that there's something beyond just giving people information and education that we know from the research, from people's own anecdotal. It's not just about the information. It's about 
exploring these things out loud in a certain kind of a space, in a certain kind of way of treating people. Um, and that that's really important. And I think that's different than what people think of when they think of informed choice. Let me just tell you how it is or the information, and then you'll walk away making an informed choice. It's so beyond that with MI that it's in relation, information and education in relation to motivation and potential what ifs and that explorative, psychologically safe place to discover that. So I just wanted to throw that out that that's different than maybe more traditionally defined informed choice. But that being said, I wanted to see Danielle, Casey, anything else you wanted to add as we're bringing it to a close? I, I want to toss it to Danielle. Danielle's the one who brought the question up. So I wanted to wrap up with kind of where her brain is at from all that. Yeah, I just, I could listen to you guys forever. I think you're, you're brilliant. And um, to be able to bring this to the business world means personally a lot to me because, you know, I equate myself with that helper personality that I could have very easily gone the social worker route and I didn't. And so I think there's a lot more people like me out there in the business world that have that helping heart that want to contribute and be um, that that contribution in the business world. And so if we can tap into them, give them the tools they need to um, to grow as a person and to help others, um, you know, game on for that. And and the thing that keeps running through my head <laughs> throughout this whole podcast is a movie that I fell in love with as a child, and it was uh, Miracle on 34th Street, a, hol a holiday movie. And I'm like, when I think of you and Dr. Miller talking and, and, and John, your reaction when we started this podcast, I'm like, I'm going to that movie going, oh yeah, I remember when, was it Macy's that sent them to somewhere else to get a toy because they didn't have it? Yeah. Yes. And then- Whoever, you know, money hungry person was like, ooh, what a great idea, exploited it when it was a really genuine act. And yes. it's like, I think we're always going to have that situation in play. And maybe what I'm hearing from you as you're stepping in and, and working with more and more organizations at a leadership level, there's an opportunity to not so much be worried about policing the use of the tools as let's just make sure people have them. And, yes. and they will be successful if there's yes. integrity. And of course, and if you've got the, the, wild, yes. <laughs> the wild horse that goes off and says, let's exploit this. It's like, I think that that, that is a truth out there as well. It is. And that you can't control that part of it. It's just that they're not going to get the outcomes that they're hoping for because they're not following the recipe. They're just not following grandma's recipe. So it's just not going to taste the same. And that's, that's viable. And people say, yeah, this is grandma's recipe and they'll taste it and go, yeah, no, this is not grandma's recipe. Um, so that's, that's exactly it, Danielle. Well, with that, Danielle, that's just, there's so much there to even potentially get into a whole nother podcast. So if you're interested in uh, expand, having us expand, or you have particular questions about this, I know in the MI world, there might be some really interesting thoughts on this podcast. Uh, you can send them to Casey, C-A-S-E-Y at ifioc.com. Uh, and we can further expand on it. We can bring you on. We can answer some questions, dive deeper, uh, get into whatever uh, ethics you want. We have other podcasts that talk about this. There was the quiet quitting of MI from, with a business perspective. There's other things we get into equipoise and um, what is truly equipoise and podcasts on all that stuff that relates to what we covered today. So um, with that, we'll sign off for today. And uh, Danielle Casey, thank you so much for your perspectives. And hopefully, uh, listener, you had a great time. We'll see you next time.
Thank you for listening to the Communication Solution Podcast with Casey Jackson and John Gilbert. As always, this podcast is about empowering you on your journey to change the world. So if you have questions, suggestions, or ideas, send them our way at Casey at IFIOC.com. That's C-A-S-E-Y at IFIOC.com. For more information or to schedule a training, visit IFIOC.com. Until our next communication solution podcast, keep changing the world.